I want to be kind of honest and open here, uh, tell you guys a little bit more uh, about my history. Uh, many of you may not know that I spent seven years uh, in, the in, in the banking industry before I entered into ministry. So I spent seven years um, in the banking world, and I had ended up landing that job through a cousin of mine. It's good to know people that know people. Amen. And so I was uh, 17 years old when I started banking. And uh, for a 17-year-old, that's a, that's a pretty good job. I wasn't mad at all. I was very, very thankful. And during my tenure in the banking world, I would receive uh, several promotions by God's grace. And uh, the Lord would soon, after leaving banking, call me into ministry. But nevertheless, if you are in the banking world long enough, you're bound to become well acquainted with this word, counterfeit. Counterfeit. A counterfeit is made with the exact imitation of something valuable or important with the intentions to deceive or defraud. To deceive or defraud. And you would be surprised how many people would come into the bank with counterfeit items to trick us, to bamboozle us, to pull the wool over our eyes. There is one situation in particular I would never, ever forget. It was a typical weekday of me working in the lobby um, at the bank that I was uh, working at, and an older gentleman would walk into the bank an hour before it was getting ready to close. And when I say older, he was an older gentleman, probably well in his 60s. He was well-dressed and very courteous. I just realized what I just said. Y'all going to have to forgive me for his glory. Give me grace. Amen. I'm going to blame that on being young and dumb. I apologize. So an older gentleman would enter into the bank. A young gentleman, young old gentleman, uh, was, was just trying to make up. That may be work-based theology. Maybe I should just stick with grace and go that route. Uh, but he was well-dressed, and he presented to me three checks that were well over $1,000 each, along with his ID. I did my normal procedure in checking everything that we were trained to do, and everything seemed to be legit at first glance. And then I took a second glance at his ID, and this is when I realized that the font of his ID was a tad bit different than the other IDs I had examined in, at that time, my five years of experience. So I quickly took the ID to the back, and I took it to my manager, and I said, I think something's funny with this ID. Would you look it over? She looked it over, and she agreed with me that there was something funny about this ID, but it was very hard to find. And as we were in the back looking at the camera, he began to fidget a little bit, and he was a little troubled. And so to make a long story short, uh, we concluded that it was a false ID, and the man standing before me was not the man he was posing to be. And so he tried to make a run for it. And it was the slowest turnaround I ever seen. I mean, he did one of these. And the security guard grabbed him and arrested him. But had I not paid attention to that very small detail, he would have tricked me and my job would have been lost. I think the, the thing with counterfeits is they are so much like the real thing. You can barely notice. A good counterfeit has little alterations from the real thing. It is almost identical. 
The reality is, if you're not careful, you could be tricked, deceived, and led astray by a counterfeit. In fact, most people who came into the bank didn't even know they had a counterfeit. Most people who were coming to the bank bank didn't even know that they had received a counterfeit. Friends, counterfeits will give you the perception, the confidence, and even the swag to think you have the real thing until it's time to cash it in, only to find out it is no good, useless, and leaving you looking like boo-boo the fool. Church, nothing is more valuable than the gospel, and yet nothing has been more counterfeited than the gospel. Church, there are so many well-produced gospel counterfeits in the church world. Uh, Y'all don't want to talk to me this morning, but I'm coming right to your address. Uh, These counterfeit gospels have a few alterations to them, almost identical to the real thing. And if you're not careful, you could be deceived, tricked, and led straight to hell. And we ought not wait until heaven to find out if we're standing on the real gospel. But we ought to fight and study diligently on the day of judgment, trying to cash in a counterfeit gospel that is useless, no good, and leaving them looking like boo-boo the fool. And if you're like me, you're wondering, well, Dex, how do I protect myself from counterfeit gospel? In the banking world, the way we would protect ourselves from counterfeit anything was by studying the real thing. Let me say that again. In the banking world, the way we would guard ourselves, defend ourselves against counterfeit, uh, 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 against counterfeit was by studying the real thing. Now, I want you to note there that I didn't say that we studied the various counterfeits. And there were thousands of them out there. But we focus our time and attention on the real thing. In our new series that we are kicking off today called The Five Solas, uh, the solo, solo gospel is what we'll be focusing on this morning. And the reason we're focusing on the five solas is that we want to study, we want to examine the true gospel. I believe the more acquainted you are with with what is real, the harder it will be for anybody to swindle Bethel Gary in exchanging the gospel for meaningless counterfeit gospels that saves no one. Let me be clear this morning. There is only one gospel that saves, and all the other so-called gospels cannot save. Why have we called this message the five solas? Well, to understand that, you need to understand what is historically known as the Great Reformation. Everybody say the Great Reformation. Many believe the Great Reformation started with a guy by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. I believe we got a picture of him. There he is. That's my homeboy right there. What's up, Martin Luther? You good? Uh, Martin Luther was a Catholic monk. And he became a monk due to a terror moment in a lightning storm where he pledged if St. Anne saved him, he would enter into the ministry. So, so, so he got scared into the ministry. I mean, lightning storm. I mean, it's not the perfect way of getting in, but, I mean, God does what he does. Luther was a fedacious monk. He was terrorized by what he called the holy terror of God. There are many stories of his extreme measures of bodily denial 
in confession to try and find peace with God. So many people, even in our time, we, we, we strive and we toil to do things in order that we may merit favor with God. There are many stories about Martin Luther trying to do this in Wittenberg, Germany. While there, Luther lectured through the Psalms in Galatians and Romans, and one verse in particular captivated him. The just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17. His whole approach to God had been living by faith, but was not living by faith, but living by his own attempts of righteousness. It is amazing what one scripture can do to a life, how we can turn it around. The word of God is powerful. Friends, Luther had accepted a counterfeit gospel and didn't even know it. He was trying to earn his way to God, but the just shall live by faith. God used that verse to open his eyes to what had escaped him all those years as a monk. Salvation is by faith and by faith alone. Salvation is by faith and by faith alone. No faith plus, no faith plus works or church tradition. He saw the gospel plus as a counterfeit gospel. Around this time, there were two gentlemen who were selling their indulgences to the common people. Uh, Tazel was a marketer and even developed a jingle to help sell his indulgences. And the jingle went like this. As soon as the coin in the offering rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I think we got a picture of the box and they would sell and make money. You got it off of selling salvation. They were selling tickets to heaven. Can you imagine if you came in this place and I was selling tickets to get out of hell? Many of you say, I wouldn't go for that. I'm much smarter than that. But nevertheless, people were being tricked. Luther was dismayed at both the indulgences and the church culture that permitted them. So Luther composed a list of 95 grievances with the church and its indulgences. And on October 31st, 1517, he nailed to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church those 95 theses against the church. Here are two of those 95 theses. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of the believer to become one of repentance. And and what we need to restore in church is this word repentance. That is to turn away from your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's too many people telling us that we can keep walking in what we're walking in and never turn to Jesus. Now, let me be clear. It is not walking in righteousness that makes you righteous. It is trusting in Jesus that makes you desire to be righteous. Let us be clear. Most mark that this event, uh, the 95 Thesis nailed on the door in 1517 as the official beginning of the Reformation. Let us fast forward. And Luther began to write more. The inventions of the printing press allowed literature to be mass-produced like never before. So the Bible was spreading like crazy because of the printing press. Everybody say, praise God for the printing press. We got something better, a copy machine, but it started first with a printing press. Luther ideas and books flooded through Germany. The common people 
who had no Bible in their own language and simply trusted the teaching of the church for the first time were exposed to the gospel of God's grace granted not by the church or a pope or indulgences, but by repentance and faith in God. How do you expose a counterfeit gospel? You make more of God's word available to the people so they can examine the real thing for themselves, which is why you ought to be studying your word so that you can be doing some checks and balances on your preacher to make sure that he's giving you the real thing. Now, too, too many churches have made us passive and dependent on the preacher when we ought to be able to articulate the gospel for ourselves. Many people died that you may have those 66 books in your hand. How can you know a false gospel? You make the word of God available. And this is exactly what happened. Many began to read the Bible for themselves in their own language. And the Reformation began to spread like wildfire. I mean, Satan tried everything to stop the word of God from spreading. It is when God's people take hold of his word that true revival begins. Martin Luther and many others protested the teaching of the Western church, hence the title Protestants. That's where we get the word Protestants from because they protested what was being taught. And so it is also called the Protestant Reformation. There is so, so, so much more in regards to that, but that's just a little bit of history. However, our series is not about Luther and the historical Reformation. That is not what we want to focus our attention on. We appreciate him. That's my boy, but he's not the focus of the Reformation. Instead, our focus is on the five solas. The five solas played a strategic, pivotal part in Martin Luther's recovering of the one true gospel. It was as if the gospel was buried under a pile of lies and the solas were the tools used to unearth it. Sola, what does that word mean? Sola is Latin and it means alone. Solitary, it comes, it, uh, the, the, we get our word solitary from the root word sola. And over the years, the doctrines of the Reformation were summarized in what we call sola. Here they are in their Latin, in their English counterparts. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Sola Christa, Sola Dea Gloria. Ah, look at that. You guys didn't know I know a little bit of Latin. No, I, I actually had to, listen to, I had to listen to YouTube several times to get it down. Just being honest and transparent, is that okay? And we are talking about grace after all. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and God's glory alone. In each of these categories, the Reformers identified additions that had been made. They said, no, you cannot add to Scripture. You cannot add to grace. And you cannot add to faith. You cannot add to Christ. And you cannot add to God's glory. They are sufficient all by themselves. Add to these, in church, you have fundamentally changed the gospel. You add to grace, you add to faith, you add to Christ. You have fundamentally changed 
the gospel. What happens, church, when you change the gospel even a little bit? It is no longer the gospel. It is a counterfeit. Essentially, this is what makes a good counterfeit, right? Counterfeit changes are never shouting out at you. But they are subtle and extremely hard to detect. In fact, to counter counterfeit money, the government made discrete changes in the details of money. Because when you make a counterfeit, you make subtle changes. The government would embed inside of money little details that if they were tweaked or if they were changed, you would be able to tell that they were a counterfeit. When the new $100 bill came out, so did an article titled, Five Ways to Detect If It's Real. Five Ways to Detect If It's Real. In other words, if you find any of these details changed or missing, it is not the real thing. I believe we have a picture here in the banking world what we know, the details of a real $100 bill. Now, there were five features that they placed into that $100 bill so that we would be able to identify the authenticity of it. The first thing they had was the blue security ribbon. This is one of the two new anti-counterfeit technologies. The ribbon is made up of hundreds of thousands of micro lenses that causes the icon within it to shift from little liberally bells to a hundred patterns and back again as you tilt the bill. The second thing they put into that $100 bill to assure uh, that counterfeit uh, people would not be able to counterfeit it. They also put, secondly, color-changing bell. The Fed is also copper color inkwell. Inside the inkwell is another Liberty Bell, which changes from copper to green, depending on your perspective. The third thing they added to that $100 bill to assure that people would not be able to counterfeit it is they raised printing. And that's what it's called. It's called raised printing. If you run your finger along Ben Ben Franklin's shoulder, you'll feel texture. I wanted to to actually do that, but I'm broken. I didn't have a hundred dollar bill, so I ran my head across. I ran my hand across a one dollar bill. <laughs> Just being real. The fourth thing that they added is what is called micro printing. Around Franklin's jacket collar, you'll see the words, the United States of America printed in small type. 100 USA runs along the quill in the background. And the outline of the familiar portrait watermark is made up of USA 100. And the fifth thing that they uh, put into the $100 bill to assure that, that, that counterfeiting it wouldn't be easy, they redesigned the back. The other side of the bill features a much larger denomination indicator, and instead of showing the front of Independence Hall, the new $100 bill shows the building from the rear. It meant to force, it would force would-be counterfeits to change all the plates they use to print fake money in, uh, 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 at an expensive undertake. In order to protect the real $100 bill from fake ones, the government embedded Five small yet significant and vital features to the bill that would make it stand out from all wannabe $100 bills so that those who are not the creator of it would be able to determine whether it was real or not. I don't think you're tracking me this morning. God the Father, in a similar way, has embedded five significant features into the gospel that makes it stand out from all other counterfeit gospels and authenticate 
designated as being the one in true gospel. Uh, these five features are called the five solas. They stand alone in when tempered with. It is easy to detect when man has tampered with the gospel by altering these features with human merit, traditions, and self-righteousness. Counterfeit gospels will always have the hand of man all over it. And if you look at the gospel, and if you see any reflection of yourself in it, my friends, you have a counterfeit gospel. But if you have a gospel that shines forth the glory of Jesus, you can be sure you have an authentic gospel with all the features in place. Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, God's glory alone. And you cannot mess with those features. Uh, we must understand that the apostle Paul was no foreigner to people trying to make counterfeit gospels. The apostle Paul planted a church in the region called Galatia, somewhere around the year 48 A.D., only one year later, he learns that the Galatian Christians were in serious jeopardy of abandoning the gospel. And because of that, Paul will write your tale. He, he will pull out a pen and he will go to work on you when it came to the gospel. Uh, uh, in, 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 in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 6 through 9, he writes to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, now watch this, let him be accursed. We're going to feel the weight of that later on. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. It is easy to detect. Paul is not happy right now. He is not happy with the church of Galatia. Why? They have exchanged the real gospel for a counterfeit gospel. Is there any other proper response then? other than sheer indignation when the beautiful gospel is being tampered with. Should not our hearts set on fire when those we love or fellowship with are running from the gospel? Should we not weep when our fellow brothers turn down his escape from eternal damnation? Should we not rip our clothes in deep sorrow when those whom we have labored with betrays the blood that justifies? Church, we must experience some kind of emotional, intellectual unsettlement when people turn away from the eternal hands that were stretched with nails in both of them. When they turn from the head that was dripping with blood from the crowns of thorns, when people turn away from the side that was pierced for our sins so that sin wouldn't have the last word, so that guilt wouldn't have the last word. Paul certainly felt angry. He was beside himself that they would turn from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And church, I would argue this morning that we ought to have some kind of unsettlement in our own souls when people turn away 
from the gospel. Presumably, in Paul's thinking, Paul was like, are you crazy to give up the real thing for fake things? Would you change, exchange your $100 bill, your real one, for a fake one? Didn't think so, would you? This is what Paul is thinking. You've been tricked. This is the great trick of Satan, to mix a bit of gospel truth with false teaching. It is like putting medicine in a baby's bottle. It goes down easy and unnoticed. He's never, Satan, Satan usually is not blatant with it. He's really, really subtle with it, really, really calm. Perhaps you know someone who has taken hold of another teaching that has some Jesus in it. There are many people I know buying into things like this. It's not just the false teaching of the Hebrew Israelites claiming that we are the real Hebrews that we need to watch out for. As if salvation was dependent on our ethnicity or our skin color. That's not who we need to watch out for. Who we need to watch out for is the pulpit pimps. And we need to watch out for the wolves in sheep clothing. These are the ones who are tricking the church. This sort of cancerous teaching that you don't, don't detect until it has spread throughout the church. You'd be surprised how many people have been tricked. Who have walked away from the gospel of grace for other gospels. You'd be surprised how many people have turned their back on Jesus for a gospel that isn't true. Do we not know this? Maybe you got a child that walked away. Or maybe you got a friend that thinks he knows the gospel. Or maybe you got a husband or a wife thinking they believe in the true gospel. And you understand that they got a fake $100 bill in their pocket. And you know on the day of judgment when they go cash it in, it will be rejected. The pain we ought to feel for this. And let us not be arrogant here. Because apart from the grace of God, you could be tricked too. You ought to fall on your face and thank God if you are holding on to the true gospel. Church, the changes are subtle. But you better check yourself. Before you wreck yourself. Understand the gospel doesn't need any of our man-made additives as if it were insufficient. It doesn't need our opinion, and we need to stay away from teaching that distorts the gospel. Paul says in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So that you get the picture here, uh, the, the British have a good expression of Paul's attitude. They would say that he was gobsmacked. Gob is the slang for mouth. And to be gobsmacked is to be smacked with an open hand. So when Paul got the news that they had, you getting the picture here. When Paul got the news that they had turned to a different gospel, it is as if somebody smacked him across the face. And Paul is like, I can't believe. You guys remember Sinane, right? Oh, my good. Oh, my good. He claps his hand over his mouth. He is in utter amazement that they have turned from the gospel. They are turning to a different gospel. Back to thinking you need to follow the law of Moses and get circumcised to be saved. Brothers, I don't know about you, but I'm glad circumcision is done away with. Amen and amen. 
The brothers are clapping in the room. There's some places in the Bible that are really funny, but I'm not going to talk about it this morning. When Paul heard that it was equivalent to someone smacking him as hard as they could across his face, when he heard this news, Paul couldn't help but be beside himself. Are you crazy, Galatians church? Are you crazy, Bethel Gary, to turn away from the gospel? God called you. God called you. The all-glorious, all-satisfying, soul-changing God called you, church. Open your eyes, Galatians. You have been set free. You want to go back to Egypt? How could you leave a God that loves you in spite of you? To turn to things that does not love you when they really get to know you. God knows the depths of your heart, and he still is inclined to love you. And you ought to be in amazement over that. What exactly was this other gospel they were turning to? What was this gospel that they were turning to? What came to the ears of Paul? What did he hear that the Galatians were believing in that made his soul set on flame when he heard it? What did he hear? He heard what we call gospel plus the Old Testament law equals salvation. Notice what he said in verse 7. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul, what would happen essentially is, is Paul would go and teach the gospel and people would come behind him and add to that gospel. So Paul would teach the unparalleled gospel, the good news. Fundamentally, the gospel is good news, church. It is good news. That's what it means. It means good news. It is our redemption at heaven's expense. I want you to hear this because this is critical. You need to understand what the gospel is. You need to know it. You need to live on it. You need to stand on it. You need to breathe it in every day. Understand what the gospel is. It is our redemption at heaven's expense. In the gospel, our hearts are introduced to the eternal weight of the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Because in the gospel we understand, whether Jew or Gentile, we have all sinned, and that is a problem. Your sin is a problem, church. It is an eternal problem. And the penalty for sin is not in eternity. Feel the weight of that. It is separation from God forever. Feel that. Because if all you do, it's not good news yet. You need to know the bad news. Eternal separation from God. That sink in. It's an eternal consequence. The impartiality of God places... On the whole of humanity, he places every single one of us under the weight of sin's final blow. And we are hopeless. We have a dilemma. We are in need of righteousness, and we do not have it within ourselves. You don't stand a chance before God. You get up there thinking you're cute, he's going to crush you. 
He's going to crush you. Count how well your nails are. Count how many muscles you have. Count how many degrees you have. The degrees stacked to the ceiling. God doesn't care. He doesn't care. Doesn't matter. The gospel brings down the arrogance of men. Puts us all on the same playing field. Checks us and let us know if you're one inch off the ground, you're too high. Get down from there. You get down, man. You sinner, get down. That's what the gospel says. We were hopeless. But here's the good news. God sends his son into this dark world. God sends his son into this dark world. Really God? Really man? He is full of life. He is just radiant in life. Jesus is life, church. He's radiant in divine light, and he lives a perfect life. He fulfills the whole law. Not some of the law, but he fulfills all of it to the last drop. Doesn't leave anything out. And he dies in the place of sinners. We call that the substitutionary atonement. That Jesus takes your place as ordained by the Father. The Father ordained that the Son take your guilty place. That's what he did in the gospel. He removes you and he puts himself and takes on your consequences. This is what happens. And he absorbs all the wrath of God. Now let's get the weight of this one, right? He absorbs all the wrath of God. It would have took you an eternity to absorb the wrath of God. That means forever, if you didn't catch that. It would take you forever to absorb the wrath of God. The Son of God did it in six hours. Absorbed all of it. Satisfies the wrath of God, takes away all your guilt, forgives all your sin, and rises from the dead. You ought to praise God for it. I went to the BMW. I don't like golfing. I do not like golfing. But I went there, and I did think it was pretty a little hole. But when you know of a God that rises from the dead, ain't too many things that can get you going. I'm like, that's nice, but Jesus rose from a bigger hole. I'm just saying, I just couldn't, I couldn't go there. I'm like, I understand that God, and I'm not condemning golf. I'm not condemning golf. Golf away. But I'm going to find some gospel in it before it's all said and done. That's like that oversaved person. Like, I. Hey, man, I just want to golf. I just, I just want to golf. I just, I just want to over-golf. Well, I think you're over-golfing. But he ascends, rules with power on high. He will come again. He will give eternal life and raise from the dead all those who trusted in him. Church, that is the gospel that saves us. You add to that, you don't have a gospel. Church, that gospel is the good news of Jesus and not the good news of you, but the good news for you. Understand that it's not the good news of you, but it's the good news for you. 
Now, word get back to Paul, our boy Paul. Paul, I like to believe Paul was a thug in his, in his original life. Paul was, Paul was a G. That's my boy. He was real. He was a honey. He wasn't scared. Word got back to Paul that the Judaizers or teachers of the law was coming behind his gospel and they were teaching and added to it. And what they would say is, of course, you must trust in Jesus. Oh, absolutely. But you also need to become a Jew. You see, what Paul said is true, but you need to keep the law of Moses as well. Understand, really good false teaching would say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, the incarnate son of God, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified for sin, resurrected on the third day, and will come again. And many of us would say, well, you must be a brother of the faith. Come on in. But what does a good counterfeit do? It imitates the real thing. The greatest troublemakers for the church is not those outside, but inside. They are on, let me step on some toes here, they are on TBN, and they likely fly under the Christian banner while twisting sound doctrine. That is what it means to distort. When Paul uses the word distort there, it means to pull or twist something out of shape. False teachers like to tug or tweak the gospel just a little bit. They say, let me take this blue strip on the $100 bill and move it here. Of course you need it, but you don't need it right, you don't need it right there. The moment you alter it, it is no longer the real thing. The ugliness and tampering with the gospel is distorting the beauty and the glory of Christ in it. Christ shines forth through the gospel. This is how you get saved. When the gospel is preached, Jesus shines forth through it. When you distort it, you distort the Son of God. Watch Paul. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with the word of God. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Here it is, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Counterfeit gospel proclaims us. True gospel proclaims who? Jesus. That's what we want. But Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants. For Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, how shone in our hearts. There it is. Light shining out of darkness into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When man add themselves to the gospel, Christ looks less glorious, and we appear to look more glorious apart from him than we actually are. That's the danger in the gospel. Adding to it makes you look better than what you really are. You don't have any righteousness to give to God. It's the consequence of those who make counterfeit gospels. What is the consequence? Those who tamper with the gospel. 
Counterfeit gospels are the more invisible. It is the most heinous of all crimes. Now, you may but it is the worst crime that anyone can ever commit. You think of the most heinous crime you can, and none will compare to those who twist the gospel. None of them. Church, this is not a game. If a person is found intentionally creating counterfeit money to purchase goods in the United States of America, the crime can be punishable by up to $15,000 or in very significant cases, even more, or 15 years in prison. And we all know the value of money. But the question this morning is, do you know the value of the gospel? The gospel is more valuable than money. Money can't buy you out of hell like the Western church was teaching. Only the gospel can. According to Paul, if someone is found guilty of making counterfeit gospels, they are to be accursed. Listen to verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, this word accursed here in the Greek is anthema, and it means a thing devoted to God with, watch this, without hope of being redeemed. Therefore, a person or thing is doomed to destruction. A man accursed is devoted to the dearest of woes. In other words, Paul is saying, let those who distort the gospel be set aside for God's Harshest judgment. If you read closely, he doesn't stop at mankind. He goes up a level. He says, even if an angel preaches something other than the one true gospel, let him be damned. Not only humans, angels as well. You touch this gospel, you're damned. And when you mess with something on earth as valuable as money, you will pay a high price. When you mess with the gospel that was purchased by the invaluable blood of the eternal Son of God, you're going to pay the highest price, the greatest eternal suffering possible. And you and I need to stay away from distorting the gospel. The Bible doesn't call for a sort of genetically modified gospel. When the gospel is distorted in a church, it makes people spiritually and theologically sick to the point of death. No wonder Luther uh, was so against counterfeit gospel to the point of laying down their life. For they turned away from the gospel. When we distort the gospel, we spit in the Son of God's face. You hear me on this, Bethel Gate. For help, you keep your hands off of God's gospel. The gospel doesn't need your help, doesn't need your personality, doesn't need your human gimmicks. The gospel is able to stand all on its own as it has been doing from the beginning of time. Solo gospel. Has it not stood the test of time? It is the power of God unto salvation. It alone can save the sinner's heart and remove the crimson stain. People would often ask me, Dex, what are you doing down in Gary to reach those teens? I would say, the gospel. It's no magic trick. Or they would say, what are you doing to save those thugs? Nothing. I'm preaching the gospel. Amen. Got no fairy dust. Amen. Just got the gospel. That's all I got. Amen. The same gospel 
in Scripture. The prototype kilogram is one of the most protected items in the world. It is sealed off from the rest of the world with the best technology we have available. Nobody is allowed to touch it with their bare hands, and every single handle of it is logged, and it is sealed away in several layers of glass that is airtight. All of this to, pre to prevent the loss of matter, which would, in essence, change our current definition of kilogram. I lay before you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is more protected than the prototype kilogram. It is protected by the Father in heaven so that its true meaning is never lost. If the true gospel was ever lost, there will be no hope for salvation. But God the Father has taken it upon his eternal shoulders to protect and punish those who try to tamper with the gospel. Church, the gospel is protected by omnipotent power. That's why the devil can't destroy it. That's why you can't change it, because God will not allow it. The gospel costs the Father everything. Everything. This is what Paul says in Romans. If he did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him give us all things? If he gave us the greater, will he not give us lesser? God has given everything for the gospel. So here's the question this morning. Why should we study the five solas. Why should we study the five solas for the next three months? Because there are still counterfeit gospels out there. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Paul writes this scripture right there one year after he plants the church. In one year, one year, they were tampering with the gospel. Yet we are 2,000 years post-apostolic. If one year post-apostolic in Galatia could produce such a warning, how much more should 2,000 years later produce a warning for us? Think of all the mischief that can be done in 2,000 years. Can you imagine that? And what we see is the counterfeit gospel, the gospel is still being tampered with. And we need to look further than TBN and YouTube, we need to look further than false teaching, than false teachers parading around as messengers of God, selling, uh, selling a counterfeit gospel. Because not only are they selling it in America, they're selling this counterfeit gospel in Africa and Asia, telling people that if you trust in Jesus, you'll have no problems. If you trust in Jesus, you'll have all your needs met. If you trust in Jesus, you'll be rich. If you trust in Jesus, your boyfriend won't leave you. If you trust in Jesus, your husband won't leave you. If you trust in Jesus, he'll give you a BMW. If you trust in Jesus, he'll give you all, all the desires of your heart. If you trust in Jesus, that's not the gospel. Amen. The gospel says, no, BMW, you need Jesus. Gospel that tells people you must keep the law to be saved is not a gospel at all. You have thousands of people flocking to buildings to have their itching ears scratched. Many people really do not want the pure gospel, but they want a Jesus that is convenient for them. They want a suitable Jesus. They want a sort of Burger King Christianity, have it your way. That's how it is in America. You don't want lettuce on that, we'll take lettuce off. You don't want tomatoes on that, we'll take that off. 
right? You don't want the nails, we'll get rid of the nails. You don't want the crown, we'll take away the crown. You don't want the cross, we'll, you, 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 whatever you want, we'll tailor make it for you. And you can be sure that those who preach a counterfeit gospel, those who exchange the truth of God for a counterfeit gospel are headed straight to hell. Understand, church, we ourselves are in constant need of a reformation in our own hearts. Understand, church, your day is coming when you will be tested to see what gospel you're standing on. Paul had his day. Peter had his day. Stephen had his day. James had his day. You're going to have your day, church. And don't you think for a second that Satan wouldn't try to trick you. Holding on to the gospel while being dragged through trials and persecution and even through death isn't easy. God knows it isn't easy. Especially when the biggest enemy against the gospel is our own hearts. The reason this is true is that we are prideful people. We desperately want to save ourselves. We want to be our own Messiah, our own Savior, but you can't do it. And so many of us are tired of being superwoman and superman. And one more thing, follow me, I'm going to crack down the middle. I've been trying to be my Savior for too long. I've turned to boyfriends and clubs and we. But the gospel says the opposite. We can't justify ourselves before God. The church can't justify us before God. No one justifies us. Listen to this. No one justifies you but God and God alone through Christ. In the banking world, when we were given money, we would turn around. And behind us was a counting machine. And we would put the bills on top of the counting machine. But there was this little slot on the counting machine for counterfeits. And so when it came down... The machine will spit out fake money. It'll go down and all the real money will go to the bottom and all the fake money will go into this little department called rejection. In church, the reason why you need to know the gospel so well is that when false gospel comes your way, it goes into the rejection pile. It's not gospel. What is this? Something's missing. Need to go into the rejection box. See, I believe, church, this glorious gospel still saves. I believe, church, because I see him going up to Calvary in in, in horrible pain. I see him, church. Mocked and beaten, but quiet. I believe this gospel, church. The Bible says he was unrecognizable as a man, yet quiet as a lamb to the slaughter. I believe this gospel, church. My Jesus broken for my transgressions with his own blood. I believe this gospel, church, that he paid the price for my sin. I believe this gospel. He exchanged his glory for my shame. I believe this gospel, church. I believe that this gospel lifts up every valley and brings down every mountain and gives a pathway to the Father. I believe this gospel, church. I believe this gospel straightens out the crooked path and makes a way for the sinner. I believe this gospel, church. I believe that it calls the most wicked heart to the Father. I believe this gospel, church. 
It is the gospel that brings down the barrier and open up the highway from earth to great glory. I believe this gospel, church. It is the gospel that sets the prisoner free and calls the prodigal home and restores the exile to citizenship. It is the gospel that beckons the prostitute to true love. I believe this gospel, church. It is the gospel that reaches into the forgotten places of the ghetto and calls the thug to Jesus and softens his heart. It is the gospel that calls the murderer to Jesus. It is the gospel that calls the deadbeat father to the true father. I believe this gospel, church. It is the gospel that stops the stoning of an adulterous woman from being condemned. It is the gospel that satisfies the void of wanting to belong. It is the gospel that turns the harshest gang member into a loving disciple of Christ. I believe in this gospel, church. It is the gospel that turns the little heartless, arrogant, rich man in the tree into a servant of Jesus. It is the gospel that changes the blind spiritual into those who can see Jesus. It is the gospel that changes the arrogant CEO into a humble servant of Jesus. It is the gospel that changed the fornicator into one who is pure and righteous. It is that gospel, church, that changes. And Jesus bought it for you. And it is when all else has failed us, when we are alone, no one else will love us. No one else will accept us. The gospel stands forth and says, you are loved completely forever. Not on the basis of what you've done. Not on the basis of your history. Not on the basis of your heritage. But on the basis of the blood of Jesus. And if you didn't work for this gospel, you can't lose this gospel. If you didn't buy it, you can't exchange it. If you didn't die on Calvary and stretch out your hands, you can't lose this gospel, church. It is an eternal love rooted, embedded in the Son of God. And as long as he lives, so shall this gospel live. The just shall live by faith. Praise God. Gospel is all we need. It is solo God, solo gospel, solo grace, solo faith, solo glory, solo Christ. We don't preach the Reformation. We don't preach the Reformers. We preach the gospel. We celebrate its recovery and renewal and revival in the Reformation wherever it goes. Cry out in this teaching series, church. Restore in my heart the one true gospel. Revive in our souls affections for the glory and the beauty of your son. Give us Christ. Give us Christ. Give us Christ. Give us Christ in the gospel. Please, God, do that for us. 